Ayo, welcome everyone to episode 10 of Today in the Scene. I'm Joe with Indie Arcade Wave, and this is my co-host Dylan from Galactic Battleground. Hey, what's up? Shout out to our sponsors, Can Arcade, Everything Arcade, Music, and Cannabis. Now, we release these episodes every Friday, so if you guys like what we're doing here at Indie Arcade Wave, hit the subscribe button if you're listening to a podcast, and if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and that bell so that you know when the next video comes up. This week, we have the pleasure of speaking with Chris. Chris is a big-time coin operator on the East Coast. Um, I'll let him go a little bit more in-depth as to where he operates out of. How you doing, Chris? What's up, guys? How you doing? Good, man. Good. Good. We're doing good. So can you tell me a little bit about where you operate? Well, so we operate in four states currently. We are in the state of Ohio. Pennsylvania is the core operation. I operate in the state of West Virginia where I have um, an arcade bar. And then we operate in the state of Maryland also. Got so you got a, a couple different states. You're reaching a pretty wide variety. Uh, what is a coin op? Like what, what do you do on a daily basis and what do you do for the arcades that you're in? So basically, um, you know, when you say arcades, I mean, we're in all types of business. We're in bars. We're in nightclubs. We're in, um, you know, like pubs, small pubs, movie theaters, bowling centers. Like I said, I own my own arcade bar, which is more or less like, you know, what you're talking about, like an, an arcade with both vintage and new games. We're almost like a mini Dave and Buster's, but we don't really focus on ticket redemption. We more focus on fun and, you know, events at the space. So, but like on a day to day, you know, basically what I do is, you know, I go around, we service machines. I, I have I'm basically my day as the owner is a bunch of meetings I have and keeping up with like what our customers need what our customers are looking to the future for. Obviously, you know, you guys have met me at like IAPA or AMOA. So we do a lot of market research on what's going to do well or what's going to project to do well for our customers, et cetera. I mean, so that's really my job. Then I have a bunch of guys that run around and do, you know, maintenance, like uh, routine maintenance, you know, pull machines, add machines, deduct machines, you know, make sure that our earning potential is there, make sure we represent ourselves well. And then, you know, my job as the owner, sometimes I might only be at those sites once a month to really check up on them and see, you know, what they need. Or, you know, if we see a machine, that's not making as much money, what have you, then we kind of, you know, rotate those around. So we have like a dedicated moving staff, a dedicated shop staff, a receiving uh, people. I have a secretary. And then we have people that are on the road with me that support like our ATMs, or, you know, jukebox installs, if they need new speakers, or it's just, there, it's such, it's multi-level. I mean, it's not just like, you know, if you look at an arcade bar owner, they're dealing with one location, we're dealing with over 200 locations. So we're really, you know, servicing all different demographics, like the, the average movie theater goer is not going to be the same person that goes to a nightclub. You know, if you have, you know, three kids that are going to see Frozen 2, then, you're not going to be at the nightclub with those same three kids. So we, we service a very vast demographic of customers. And I think that's where like, you know, that's the difference between a coin operator and an arcade bar owner. You know what I mean? So today we're talking about coin op. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a good insight that a lot of people don't really look at is they kind of see it as like, you just place the arcade games and you take the money. They don't realize all the stuff that you do behind the scenes, as well as how diverse what you actually supply to locations. I mean, you yeah. said, like jukeboxes and ATMs and all that different stuff. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, so when you're in the game, it's like you got to be in the game. So um, we expect our customer, one of the biggest 
If you're a new operator and you're starting out and you're trying to be in this business, one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest things that I just never understood with uh, with new operators is they expect their customers to pay cash for um, well, how do you want to say this? They expect their customers to pay cash to play the games, but they don't even provide their customers with a way to get cash. So if their customer didn't show up with cash, let's say like one of the big locations we have is Helicon Brewing. It's a brewery. If they didn't have an ATM machine in there, how would they actually get quarters from the machine? Because you can't, it's not legal to cash advance a customer for, 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 uh, for money. Like you can't swipe your credit card on a square terminal and get cash. So you have to use the ATM. Well, how can you have a place where you expect your customers to pay cash and then not even provide an ATM to service them with cash? I mean, that's so I mean, I think that's one of the big missteps in, in coin op today is, you know, the younger generation, people younger than myself, I would say way younger, like below th- 30 or younger, think that, OK, uh, they're just going to show up with cash every time. Well, if you didn't hit the bank and the bank closed at four, how are you going to get cash? You got to go to an ATM. Why not provide them with an ATM so they can get the cash right at the site? It's a win-win. Right. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I almost never carry cash. I usually just use my card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and, and and if you wanted to play games at a location, normally you'd have to have quarters, right, or tokens. Right. And how do you get tokens? Do you exchange tokens for a credit card? Well, uh, it's highly unlikely. So Pretty rare, got, yeah. Yeah, you got to exchange credit or uh, cash for, for tokens or quarters, and then you can go along your way, so. Yeah. Speaking of like arcade games and like new operators going into the scene, um, what would you say the pros and cons are with vintage and indie arcade games? I mean, honestly, and you guys know this, but I'm going to, I will elaborate on a answer. I love the development and the products that are coming out that are new retro style games. It's not just, I mean, Galactic Battleground is great, but Cosmotrons, the depth of the game is amazing. Killer Queen has been just a top earner for us. You know, now now they have Black Emperor. Great game. You know, we threw an armed and gelatinous in, into a brewery. We have Death Ball, which is another. I mean, those are home runs. You know, they use a vintage style look. So the demographic is all age groups because even your age, your guys are younger than me. Your age group loves, absolutely, it seems, absolutely loves uh, retro style games. And all those games fit the bill. So it fits right into like, I think they have more earning potential. Everybody's already played Galaga. Everybody's probably already beat Galaga. Like, I'm a nerdy guy. I've beat Galaga a million times. I speed run. I try to do it on one guy or whatever, you know. But the challenge is, the cool thing about, like, the games that are coming out now is most of them are cooperative to a different degree than a vintage game. Galaga single player. It's you versus the machine. That's it. You versus AI. That becomes repetitive. That becomes boring. You start to memorize the pattern. Okay. The cool thing about Killer Queen and Death Ball and Galactic and Gelatinous and all these games that are out is the fact that you can play cooperatively against your friends, you know, and, and now we're seeing like some really high level statistics like Cosmotrons will tell you, you know, how you beat somebody or what your stats are, how much this you use, same with your game. I mean, and that just makes it even more of a, uh, a fun environment to play in. And I think that's what the, the vintage games are great. They bring customers in, but you're not actually going to make as much money with vintage games as you are with a game like uh, Galactic Battleground or, or Cosmotron. You know, it has potential to keep a customer in your establishment. So the flip side, the, the, the actual 
additional benefit to having these new indie games in your space is one, they're kind of rare. So like you can go to a location like one of our better movie theaters or one of our better brewery sites and say, hey, guys, I'm going to give you this armed and gelatinous game and no one else has it. Like you're not going to find another one within 500 miles of here. Or Hey, look, I'm going to give you Death Ball or Galactic Battleground. And then I mean, like, that's great because they feel like some exclusivity to it. But I think that's what indie has to do. We have to push indie to be a main place. So it's just like an accepted thing because people already love vintage games. They already like the uh, the older classic games. But then you guys took classic game concepts and made them cooperative, which I think is great because, you know, you like to play against people, right? I mean, people like to compete against each other. So, Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly what you're saying with, with the whole idea of there being multiple people playing the game at a time, which if you're someone that owns, I mean, let's just use the arcade bar example. You want as many people in there for as long as you possibly can get them in there. So if you have one person that's really digging Killer Queen, you need 10 people to get that game to its full effect. So they're going to bring their friends and they're going to play for two hours and they're going to buy drinks at the same time. So you're going to be making money on the cabinet, but also on those drinks that they're buying. We so- see it all the time, man. Just to elaborate on that even further, Joe, because I do own an arcade bar, but... Th- Let's look at the let's stick the coin up. Let's look at the advantages of what it does for coin up. So then you can tell the customer that has that unit in their location that exact same scenario, and it's true. So then you're now making a customer more money because those people are staying. They're digging the game. They're digging the vibe. They like it. You know the same thing we're looking to do with the arcade bars can be applied to any, you know, open space. Like if you go to the movie theater with you and your girlfriend and and Dylan and his girlfriend or whatever, significant other, and then, and and you start playing a game, you start having fun. Dude, when that movie lets out, if the bar's so open, you guys are going to grab a few cocktails and sit down and play. That benefited the movie theater, not only because of the coins that were dropped, but because they kept the customer in their facility for four hours. I mean, right. What Before other the what, movie and after the movie? Right. What other what other thing, what other concept can you fathom up in your head that's legitimately going to do that? I mean, there. If, if, if you think of something new, you're going to be a millionaire because <laughs> right. really, like, I mean, I hate the and I'm not not trying to be sh- uh, goofy about it. I'm being real. Like, what else is yeah. there? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on on that same line with all the indie games that we're discussing. How did you find these? Like, who was it that reached out to you? What games did you find first? Dude, that's a funny story, right? So I, I think I contacted um, Killer Queen, and they were just like in between salespeople, or like it was like when they were. I mean, I don't want to say in their infancy, but it was it was a much earlier on scenario. So I contact this guy; he never gets back to me. So then I start like saying, okay. I send one of my guys to the Midwest Gaming Classic, and he starts doing research on this stuff. Like he's like, "Here's who you got to call. Call this Cosmo Shane. Call the call uh, a gen- the gentleman that did Switch and Shoot. Couple other couple other guys. Tony from uh, from Death Ball. And then bam, dude, Killer Queen gets back to me. The uh, Bumble Bear, and they're like, "Hey, we were in between sales guy. I talked to Brian Lee. Great guy. I mean, really supportive of everything we've ever done. He's he's my guy. And um." You know, ultimately, it was just like everyone kind of hit me at once. So, like, I got Killer Queen, and then I was talking to Shane, 
And then Shane and I sat down at IAPA. We had lunch and I was like, I want one. Let's do it. You know, and then it just went from there. Then I started meeting people through the scene. And then I kind of made a commitment to the scene. I thought like, hey, I can invest. I need to invest in these guys because this is like a different solution for my route. This is going to set me apart from all these older operators that are in their 50s and 60s that are like, that's stupid or that's not, you know, they don't understand. They really won't take the risk on something like what you got, like a product that you guys make. Right. So they're just like, no, no, you know, it's not commonplace yet. Like Betson didn't tell me to buy it. Nothing against Betson. I mean, I love Betson. They are, they have helped me through any difficult times I've ever had in coin up. And they're just a great liaison between the customer and myself. But, you know, so I wanted to, I wanted to diversify my own route. Like just, just to be able to be like, Hey, we offer this product. And I mean, you know, it really hit me hard whenever it really, really made me a believer when somebody walked into my bar once while I was just getting ready to leave just to look at Cosmotrons. And it was like, he was like, wow, this is like a vector game for like when I was a kid, this older guy. And I was like, yeah, man, let's play a couple games, you know? And then, and then like, here I am, dude, I was at my bar. I was supposed to be home at like 10 o'clock at PM. And I'm at my bar till like one in the morning playing this guy Cosmotrons. Like, and he, he was like, dude, I got to go to work in four hours. I was like, oh, my God, man. I just got wrapped up in it. We were playing it. People were jumping in. It was like – and then I was like, man, this is cool because we basic, basically I met this dude who I never even laid eyes on. He is nothing like me in the real world probably, but we just had the most killer time. It was rad. We were jamming. We were playing games. I was better than him at it, so of course I liked it. And, you know, like it was just one of those things, man, where it's like it was, it was just – and then that's when I was really sold on it. And, I mean, and you guys know. Then I came to you and we started talking, and you guys were still like in a development stage for what you were doing. And and I was just like happy to – like remember, I, I think you guys remember. I told your dad too, Dylan. I said, yep. any, any questions you have, ask me. Like if there's – because I've experienced a lot. I mean if you've dreamed it, I've probably seen it. You know, so it's like – and, and, and they collaborated and, you know, they were going through their process. And then, of course, we were thrilled to get the cabinet and, you know, just keep on building it. I mean, like, and, and really, I wanted to, like, the, the new Starport, when it actually comes online after all this, everything with COVID is finally, like, settled in some manner, you know, it'll be a, a great showroom for me to bring potential new customers in and say, this stuff exists and this stuff is profitable and it's not just profitable from the standpoint to reiterate the point we just made it's not just profitable from the standpoint of uh it makes you coins it's profitable from the standpoint is it almost keeps butts in the seats and that's what they want to hear and i think especially after covid oh yeah that's what they're yeah, gonna do. it's going to be all about customer retention the longer you can keep them in there the better off you are well that's always been the business guys but what it is is i mean it's magnified now because if movie theaters even come back i mean they're going to be really open to anything that's going to increase their budget right yeah so yeah so like what actually got you involved with coin operating like how did it, how did it all start yeah, man. Uh, so it goes way back, man. I was, uh, I was like in college working two jobs. Um, I, I, uh, I knew a bunch of operators. I, I worked, I was adopted by an operator. I worked with an operator and, um, basically, uh, a really major location called me once 
to fix a jukebox for an operator that I had known. Okay, so I went and fixed it. And then he called me again and said, hey, can you fix this again? I'm saying, well, why isn't, I won't name the operator, but why isn't this gentleman like fixing his own games? And he was just like, oh, it just gives me a hard time about it. And I went and fixed it again. And I contacted the operator and I was like, hey, you know, I hate having to pick your lock to fix your machines. He's like, I effing hate that guy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking like, well, that's no way to have a relationship. So the third time I ever went there to fix a game, the, the guy says to me, take it off the wall. And I'm like, well, it's not my machine. I can't do it. And he's like, take it off the wall or else I will. I was like, well, if you choose to take it off the wall, however you do that, that's on you. So within 10 seconds, the machine was shattered on the floor. He literally ripped it off the wall. So I was like, uh, this isn't good, you know? And he said, go down to Betson and get me a jukebox. I said, well, I don't even have the money to do that because they were like 5,500 bucks at the time for an AMI box. And, um, and he was like, he literally went behind the bar, came back, handed me 5,500. He was like, go get me a jukebox. And I was like, okay. So I went and got him a jukebox. We got him. So he's like, I'm going to split it with you. You're going to pay me back every dollar you're making it. You're going to pay me back. I actually, you know, my wife will tell you this. I got a newspaper route to cover, to, to make the payment. And I took over the, like, I took the whole burden of it at, at, at 19 years old. And I mean, we made a significant amount of money that year at this location. I worked hard. We promoted it. I did free play nights on the jukebox to do my best to encourage people to play it. And now to this day, it is still my most successful jukebox. I mean, like it's, it's an insane jukebox, but we did, it's 17 years promotion in the making, literally. So that's how I got started, man. I never looked back. I mean, I didn't even want to finish college because I was like, this is stupid. I'm not going to use any of this for, you know, but I decided to do it just because now I can tell my girls, yeah, I did it. I went to, I, I went to college, you know, yeah. but it's nothing for me. I mean, like, and I'm not saying it's not, everyone should quit college, but for me, it's just, I'm not smart and I never was going to be like smart. So <laughs> I was going to be a hard worker and, and, and realistic, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, you're more on like the logistics side of it that made more sense. And you got, I mean, you got thrown into the fire, basically. He was just like, here, fix the problem. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was crazy. I remember, I, was, I still remember being so afraid because this guy, I mean, I, that would be a funny interview. You should interview him. I mean, <laughs> he's been around Coin Op his whole life. I mean, they have a really great, a very successful uh, uh, bar restaurant chain. But um, ultimately, it was like, yeah, dude, it was like almost walking up to the Godfather and being like, uh, I can't tell him no. What's the consequences? Like, you know, I mean, it was like, it was, it was a weird scenario. But yeah, I mean, I did get thrown to it, man. But I'm so glad I did because honestly, guys, I don't think I could do anything else even remotely good. Like, I don't know. My charity work's the only other thing I could do. And if I did charity work for a living, I wouldn't be paid for it. So I don't know. I, we wouldn't be talking, I mean, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. So having been in the coin op business for so long, do you collect any uh, games or anything yourself? I mean, I collect the history of the business. So, I mean, anything that takes coins, I collect it. Um, you know, I don't even know. I mean, I think, I think, you know, the last time we did a count of it, 1300 pinballs or something like that. It's crazy. Like, I mean, all the way from like wood rail games from the forties or, or, I mean, thirties even like without flippers and, you know, but I collect that stuff because it's like almost preservation of history. Like right. this is the business I'm in. This is, I, I want to like pay 
some uh, respect to the past of it because that's how we got to where we are. I mean, this is a career for some, some of you guys. And it didn't start by just, it wasn't like a big bang and all of a sudden this was all here. It was like it built up to that point. It had its ups and downs. But I mean, you know, so I collect that. I mean, I collect vintage coins, vintage money, because that has to do with my business. I collect um, and then vintage games, whether it be arcade, whether it be, you know, uh, mechanical games, whether it be pinball machines, anything. So, like, you know, it's important to me, like one day, whenever it's all said and done and I'm old and, and you guys own my business, then I will uh, I will still have a little museum that has everything because I really want my kids to know the history of coin op. But the average, you know, the average kid that's growing up, they don't even know. Like, I mean, it's so funny. I take pinball machines in my kids' schools just so they can see a pinball machine. And I had like a 22-year-old teacher be like, what is that? And I'm like, you're not – you a what? She was like, I don't know. I think my dad had one of those in our basement when I was a kid. I'm like, you don't know what it is? Like, it was Oki's Alice Cooper Nightmare Castle. And I was like – she was like, is this something Alice Cooper gave you? I was like – Wow, you're 22 years old. You don't even know the world. Like, I mean, I just I've never shocked. seen a pinball. Like, that's so, crazy. well, so, so this is this is a this is kind of a Starport story. But I remember uh, and, and and a kid coming in, and it was a kid that was from China, an Asian kid that went to WVU, and he walks into Starport, and all the games are on free for our initial opening, and he was like the first person to walk in. We weren't even open yet. I think it was like we opened at noon, and he was there at like 11. So it's like the at the like tip, prototypical like what you would think of as like a geeky dude walking into the spot. So he walks in, he hits like he looks at the machine, he like starts look, tapping on the the lockdown bar. He doesn't know how to start it. I walk, I'm like, oh, it's start button right here. Hit the start button. The ball pops in the shooter line. He doesn't know what to do. Still, I said, oh, you plunge the ball up. He plunges it. It drains. He didn't know it had flippers. He looks at me, and goes, this is really fun. And I said, well. You have to flip the game. So I start the game next to him and I show him, I start flipping the game around. Okay. And he's like, Oh, and I'm like, there's objectives. And I start explaining it to him. And it's like, you know, I don't have time to do this. Like my manager's like, can you help me get pizzas ready? And I'm like, I, this is blowing my mind right now. I have to talk to this kid. (laughs) So, so we start playing the games. And I mean, like he has graduated from the university. He graduated a year early. He still has messaged me, messages on Facebook saying, man, I hope you're going to open again. I'm going to live in Morgantown till the end of the year, dude. I love pinball. And when I go back to China, there's not going to be pinball. And it's like, man. Wow. He, like he, so all it takes, I think the thing that like some of the route operators don't do, and maybe even some of the arcade bar owners that like, you know, don't have the time supposedly or whatever is to educate the customer. I mean, sometimes people just don't get the fun and you need to, there's a cost to educate them and it's just your time. So whatever your time's worth, but that kid had probably spent lifetime, let's say two grand at Starport for just, just because I took five minutes to show him how to play pinball. He never seen one before. He was like, I don't get it. And it was so yeah. funny too, because like when Starport opened, my young, my oldest daughter was like only going on four years old, and she was like, he didn't understand what that was. Like, and I'm like, grew <laughs> up around it, like <laughs> pinball machines when you were like a year and a half. So to you, it's like second nature. You got them lined up in your house. This dude lives in a dorm and doesn't like you know. So, but I mean, it was great. It was a great 
way to liaison someone into the world of coin op. I mean, he, he was a great customer. I mean, like I always thought he was going to be a programmer for me, but he does want to go back to where he came from in China. So, you know, I always said, Hey man, you got a job afterwards. Cause like he was like an open canvas, you know, like he, cause that's the thing. Like, you know, the other thing is if people that know too much about coin op think they know that's a problem, like knowing too much about it from the development side means you don't see any new ideas. You just replicate you know, yeah, you tunnel vision. You tunnel, right? Exactly, exactly. Yep. So, having been in the coin op business for so long, um, we kind of already know what you do. Is there anything else that you're doing on the side? Yeah, man. I mean, we just like you guys develop a game. I thought it would be a cool way to employ people. I thought it would be a way to, you know, kind of put my mark on an industry that was. Otherwise, I mean, it can get stale with like repetitive things. That's why, again, it was uh, important for me to support what you guys do, because I think it was ultimately an expansion of the like it almost expanded the horizon of not only people that always played coin op, but it brought in a new generation like you guys are younger. I love the new ideas. I love the, um, you know, I, I. that that's so so i decided to get involved with game development with uh with with systems that complement coin operated devices um just in general try to help lead the charge for indie games because you know not everybody has an unlimited bankroll to make these games and like even guys like eugene jarvis from from raw thrills they love the products you guys i mean you guys were at mcg dude he was digging it he, yeah, liked, he was, he he was playing it. with us for a good like hour and a half. He was with yeah, us. Yeah, dude. I mean, you know, Eugene believes the same as me. The rising tide raises all ships, man. So, like, if he even he may get an idea or two from you. So it's like you know, and and then that's that's real because he's a real industry guy, and for yeah. him, for him to like and and give a positive review of your product, I mean, he started for Williams in the early eighties. I mean, he's a lifer. You know, so I, I love it. I, I'm so happy because you never really know, like Eugene's pretty open, but some people just wouldn't be. They're like, oh, you're competition. No, I mean, you know, I think I think there's more than enough spots for all these type of games. We just have to find a way to normalize indie games, right? Everybody knows titles like Jurassic Park and Raw Thrills, and that's great. And they are they are the anchor of arcades, but you have a place in there with the indie games. So that's why I kind of got involved in those side projects with, uh, with, with game development, with, with hiring engineers to work for us as a company, because it was important for me to like, I think I can help you guys push that boundary. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just pie in the sky and I'm not, but, but I'm going to try. So. Word. Um, my last question for the day, uh, what, is your favorite or slash first arcade game you played? I mean, obviously, I love Robotron. I mean, it's just no doubt. Um, I like, I remember when I first started playing Robotron and everything else was like, you know, you were, you were almost, I want to call it like gridlocked, like Pac-Man or games of that kind of ilk, like, you know, Galaga, you're kind of just stuck to the scrolling of the screen. But mm-hmm. Robotron, go every direction you can go diagonal up down left right di- diagonal in each direction on 45 degree angle so i mean and I, and i thought the other thing that was so cool about it was that like you know as you progress the waves there was never the same scenario like 
and Galaga, you can almost memorize the pattern for like the first two minutes. Once you get really good at it, it's memorized. So it becomes like repetitive. But Robotron, you know, wave one and wave one again is somewhat different. And then when you get up to the higher levels of the game, it becomes like, you know, more of a a challenge because it's changing and it's about reaction time and speed and conserving lives and saving, saving. Like there's just, there's depth to the game where like Williams had depth to their games and people at the time, supposedly when I talked to older operators thought that they were too difficult. But now like my age, my age, like I wasn't really, I mean, good enough to play Robotron till I was like maybe my daughter's age, seven, eight years old. But like, you know, so, but I liked, I mean, we love Street Fighter. I love Mortal Kombat and all that, but that brought that head to head aspect. I didn't really like, I could run through Mortal Kombat every time on the hardest setting. No problem. Nothing hard. You know, it's one one quarter. So it, it was, it became, the challenge was going to the arcade and playing other people. But the one game that was not cooperative, like not in a head to head sense that, I mean, and it's my all time favorite still has got to be Robotron. I mean, I just, it is just hands down, you know, I love pinball. I love, but if you're talking about arcade games, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely a, a solid pitch for Robotron for anyone that hasn't played it or hasn't played it in a really long time. If you haven't uh, played it, you listen to this podcast, you messed up. So, <laughs> 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 well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Um, Chris has been awesome talking to you. Um, Shout out any social media that you want to shout out right now. Hey, man, I want to shout out all my guys in the indie game scene. If you haven't checked out Cosmetron, Switch and Shoot, Galactic Battleground, Armed and Gelatinous, uh, Death Ball, Killer Queen, Black Emperor. I mean, anything on the horizon. Uh, You know, guys, this is anybody that's listening. This is what the future is. These, these people that are making these games are sitting in, in, on a couch just like you, dreaming of ideas and trying to make it great. I mean, we can shout out Starport. We can shout out Helicon Brewing, all my sites. But really, it's important that we shout out the industry as a whole, indie games. Everyone, please, if you can. I mean, I don't, I don't have a voice like these guys, like Joe and Dylan. But I'm telling you, you got to check the things out. It's, it's, they're entertaining. They're worth it. It's worth your 50 cents. Get addicted, play it, and lose to them at shows. You know, you will you will get wrecked by Dylan and Joe. They're great players. So, <laughs> so that's, it. that's it, man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Thanks yeah. for coming on. Yeah, man. We Bye will be up. whatever. We'll yeah. do. We will be back next Friday with another episode. Until then, peace out. Later.